0: Welcome, so good to be with you, have you with us. And we're about to jump into, where are we headed today. Right. Well, we've got
1: loosening our grip on certainty. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an encouragement. And uh, I guess the whole thought is that inflexibility leads to disillusionment. Generally, when it comes to belief systems and our understanding of how the world works, even just in a general sense, not even just a spiritual sense. But if we get inflexible with concepts um, that could be disproven, later on, then that really can lead to disillusionment. And uh, I remember a mum had like a fridge magnet years ago and it had a proverb on it. <clears throat> I don't know, you know, but there was a, a time when everything was a Chinese proverb, you know, and it was like this Chinese proverb, blessed are the flexible, they shall not be snapped off. <laughs> and it, it, that's, what, that's what this thought is. That's what it reminds me of. And uh, our need to really relax the need, you know, that we all tend to have, we need, our, you know, our need to relax the need to be absolutely right about everything God, okay? And, uh, and the reason why, because straight away, you know, you can hear in, in, in probably a fundamental in evangelical background, you can hear the air get sucked out of the room when you say that stuff. Um, but I've found over time, time will always challenge you. Like any preacher who's preached a message and gone back and listened to it, maybe, you know, yeah. if you've been had longevity like me, I go back, I can listen to messages from 20 years ago if I go to cassette tape, and I'm horrified, and it's like, oh, that was a bit shallow, that was a bit not insightful or whatever, or that was just a flat-out poor application, um, <clears throat> wrestled that out of context, whatever. I've just found time will challenge you.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I can't wait to go there. Before we get there, (laughs) a few shout-outs. It's just been great hearing feedback from people all over the world, people Mm. uh, joining in, listening, being encouraged, adding thoughts to the conversation. So We've got Andre
1: who's uh, from a local here. church. Yeah. So we're talking about local. He's in a great local church right here in Toowoomba. It's great to have you with us, mate.
0: T-Bar Repana, and across the ocean, joining in from Japan, Tim and Kazue. Mm. It's been great to hear some of your feedback yeah. also. Great church planning pastors in Japan. About and, to plant uh, a church in Brisbane, be a part of a church planning That in is so cool, coming
1: to Australia. So seeing uh, these
0: guys soon. Can't wait to see you guys. So what do we do? So today we're, we're loosening our grip on <laughs> yeah. certainty. L- loosening our grip
1: on certainty or just our, you know, and again, it's in that vein of our need to be absolutely right and to die on the hill of correctness. Yeah. Um, and so really when you think about it, I mean, how can we, we've just got to stop and think about this. How can we be absolute with divinity that knows no bounds? You know, God is eternal, um, omni- omniscient, all knowing, all powerful, all present, He knows no bounds and really, I guess, as human beings, even our most diligent attempt to translate, to describe or to somehow quantify um, what is a transcendent nature of our creator, uh, that could only ever fall painfully short into, into at best, an incomplete image, you know, and sometimes history would prove into a really distorted caricature. Of who God really is, that has not been helpful either for Christians or, or our society.
0: Yeah, but I guess at the same time it's like God can be known. Like yes, of course, and he's gone to great lengths to make that possible, you know, culminating in the, you know, Jesus coming, walking amongst us, putting flesh on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I guess the question is fully known. Because when you bring certainty or absoluteness into the equation, in one sense what you're saying is, I've got no blind spots. You know, So can God be fully known? And and I mean now, in this veil of the flesh, if the, the scripture puts it, our our humanity, the weakness of our flesh. Um, when even the Apostle Paul says, now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I think it's 1 Corinthians 13. He's, he's actually talking about the return of Christ and different things passing away. And it's like, now I see dimly. Paul's saying it. And we say, oh, no. No, we, we, we've we
0: worked know, it out. Yeah. We're dogmatic. This we are
1: absolute about this. And and even Paul, and of course, Paul had strong convictions and was quite happy to, to bring them to the fore. And we have to live out of our convictions. But we also need to have a relaxed grip on those convictions. I think even of Paul's own journey, his early writings, you know, he's adamant like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Mm. Um, By his later writings, he tends to have backed off that topic a bit and relaxed because time had given him a different perspective. And it wasn't that he was wrong. We should always live like Jesus is coming tonight or or this afternoon. Would you be ready? That's what the scripture is trying to teach us. But then all of a sudden people start putting dates on it or whatever, getting absolute about it. And yet you can even see in Paul's own journey, this sort of fluidity Mm. of thought.
0: Yeah, and I know like for me and I guess for everyone, it's funny how quickly we can (laughs) maybe hear a concept or formulate a concept and then we end up really defending it hard as if we've got it all worked out but it's often to our own
1: detriment. Yeah, you know, often God's people just die on hills we're not called to die on, you know. Um, And and it even goes beyond scripture. I think we've got to get scripture as right as we can, but even beyond scripture, um, you know, Christians can get caught up with this um, I'm absolutely right thing going on, and Mm. I don't think it's helpful. And if you wanted to look at, and I just want to use this as an illustration Maybe
0: they're not so, I think even like, I don't think anyone would say I'm absolutely right, but, it is that whole "I'm more right than you." <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I don't know everything, but I we're definitely more right than you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, what I'd like to use maybe as a bit of an anvil to thrash this out is just an example, which is uh, so maybe we can kill two birds with one stone. But maybe the what I think, and this is again only my observation and opinion, and this would not might not even go beyond circles that I move in. But I think there's a common Christian perception about. The law of Moses about the the Torah, the first five books, plus you know, well, all of the, we could say the whole Old Testament. Because I think, I think most Christians, aside from Psalms, Proverbs, maybe, they tend to see it all as the law or all as legalistic. Um, and yet, the more I read about the Jewish perspective on how they think about Torah, how they think about just the scriptures. They see them as, uh, as beautiful, the commands of Moses, uh, even later things that are written in, Deuteronic Deuteron- and, uh, and Levitical law, all of that stuff, um, the whole broadening of the Ten Commandments, I guess I'm talking about. But they see it as beautiful and liberating and um, mm. something to be loved something to be cherished something to be respected uh, for them it pointed the way to life
0: hmm so i guess it i guess it was i guess how to live in communion with god yeah
1: yeah well the 10 commandments if you take that for an example it's basically a wedding contract like it's it's in jewish parlance it's a ketubah and what that was is um, Parents would gather or family representatives. Maybe dad dad had passed away, so the older brother would step in or an uncle. But representatives from both families of a young couple before they got married would sit down and make a pre-agreement of what that marriage would look like. You know, basically what the parties were agreeing to if they were going to live together. And, you know, there was always basic elements like shelter and food and and then they'd move to more specific things and they were often things that that older generation perhaps you know most likely married themselves they had inside an experience that would make for a happy union it was like if you're going to marry my daughter then this is how i expect you to treat her and and the you know conversely the the husband's parents or or representative could say well you know this is the kind of wife that that he's looking for this is this is how she would be a pleasing wife and it could get thrashed out at the table um which uh you know that is literally how they did it. That's what the Ten Commandments are. Mm.
0: And I mean, how? I mean, sounds like a great concept. Like I can just think of, you know, as long as you've got healthy relatives that really do want the best for you and have healthy relationships oh, themselves, yeah. Like, if it we, saves a lot of pain.
1: Yeah, if we step away from the law of Moses example, back to that as a literal example, I mean, man, how much marriage counselling. Mm. Could be helped if you if your relatives had your best interest in heart. Yeah, get a couple of older married relatives to actually hash it out. Man, I tell you what, oh. they could save some marriage counselling. They'd probably save a lot of
0: divorce. And probably like, and I just think clear expectations too. There's that saying that frustration is the gap between expectation and reality. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people fall into trouble. In marriages, they have different expectations to what reality is. So imagine having yep. this is what the expectation is. So yep. I think, you
1: know. And, and in a sense, we're even talking about that here with the God thing. So just again, looking at the common Christian perception of the law, mm. the Jewish folks saw it as a beautiful thing, as a safeguard, as a path to life, um, and they still see it that way. So, um, and yet our common Christian perception is very, very. Is it, is it a bit one
0: dimensional in that, it, I guess? often what your thinking goes to is the law is bad, it's legalistic, it's a curse. Yeah, yeah, I mean, There's yeah. a lot of things that you hear around it. So, I, like, I don't know if you got any thoughts on where that kind of thinking comes from? Uh, well, or?
1: Definitely passages... Um Galatians, classic. You know, Paul is so colourful in the book of Galatians. I mean, his warnings, his exhortations. I mean, Paul was so skilled. I heard one author recently say Paul was so skilled in the art of rhetoric as to be able to actually deny that he was ever trained in it and convince you that he hadn't been trained in. It. I mean, that and Paul just goes at the Galatians because what was happening in in the church in Galatia was um, uh, Jewish teachers had come in behind Paul and. Was Trying to get these new converts, new believers, many of them Gentiles, or probably the bulk of them, um, uh, it was the Roman world. It was a colony that had only really been established or planted a couple of hundred years previously. Uh, it was a major resettlement of ex-soldiers, right through Galatia, ex-Roman soldiers, retired and became farmers, etc. There, and uh, and you know, Paul's like you, foolish Galatians, like someone's trying to convince you to become Jewish. Um, whereas faith in Christ is what saved you, and faith in Christ is how you receive the Holy Spirit. So now, why are you gonna backtrack yeah. <laughs> to um, to fulfil requirements that lots of Jews themselves struggle Don't to require? Keep. Yeah, and yeah. so Paul goes and he, he uses language like, um, "You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You know, so <laughs> it's like, who has been a sorcerer mm. amongst you?" Um, And uh, I just love it. He really rattles off and then he continues um, and he says it this clearly, you know, you mentioned curses. Well, he says it in Galatians 3, for as many uh, as are of the works of the law under the curse, for it's written, "Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them." Now, what's what we have to note here? Paul's not actually attacking the law in general. He's not saying the law is a bad thing. What he's attacking is the belief that you can be justified by it. Mm. So he's basically going as many are as are, as are of the works of the law. Right. So if you're doing the works of the law to somehow become pleasing to God, you've missed the point. Of why Jesus came, Mm. but he's not actually saying
0: the law itself is bad, the law is not
1: bad, you know. Um, uh, he goes on, we've got to get to Galatians 5, this is just a brilliant verse. Um, and he says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, so if uh, he's basically saying, Hey, if I was still preaching the way that they did, well, why why am I persecuted? He's saying, Look at my life, I'm being persecuted by. These, you know, sort of uh, Jewish teachers, mm. simply because I'm not particularly preaching, you need to be circumcised. Um, and he says, then the offence of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. <laughs> um yeah. The so, slip
0: of the knife and get yeah, the whole. Yeah, yeah, that's literally not what he said. Not talking about saying. cut them off uh, in a communication kind no, of. No, no,
1: this is not about excommunication. <laughs> excommunication. It's about castration or emasculation. So he's basically saying, "Hey, while you're down there with the knife, you know, do a proper job." <laughs> um, and that's how Paul feels about people who try and force external religious stuff. You know, if you want to be pleasing, you must, you must, you must fulfill this, fulfill this, fulfill this. Mm. And if we're not careful, you know, we just have a Christian version of it in local churches if we're not careful. Um, But if you move on to Romans, Paul really talks about and reflects how he feels about the law where he says, you know, the commandment was given, Romans 7 it is, was, was given to bring life, but I found it to bring death for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. And then he says, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. And it almost seems contradictory, but it's sort of a little mm. bit tied to a deeper argument that he has in this, these passages and these couple of chapters around conscience uh, that really begins back in chapter one of Romans. So you could almost say, and this is a really bad summary, but you could almost say, in one sense, Paul argues in one place that ignorance is bliss, being apart from the law. Ignorance is bliss, yeah, yeah. you know, um, because you know even Gentiles who by nature live a particular way actually fulfil the requirements of the law. Um, but this is the, actually the problem with the Garden, with the fall of Adam and Eve. Remember what it was about. It was about the knowledge of good and evil. that's that was the the metaphor that's used. Mm. Um, and because they wanted to know the difference between good and evil, basically they they didn't just in the fall at the garden, they didn't just remove innocence, but they they actually removed their ignorance. and therefore, we, as, as people, as human beings, became accountable on a level right. that no human being was ever created to, to bear. Yeah, we were yeah. never created to bear the burden of sin, the burden of even knowing what was right what or was wrong. Sin, yeah. It's like we would have been fine if we just lived out of our conscience. Mm. We actually wouldn't have made a mistake. And Paul's bringing that thought back in, saying the law. Points out conscience issues in us, and we continuously offend our conscience because we now have the knowledge of good and evil. Right, um, but you know, but he's then he says, but the law itself is holy and and it's beautiful, it's just, it's good, it's truth, mm. it's truth. But it points out stuff in us that actually, you know, raises our consciousness of our issue. Yeah, which is then, of course, meant to lead us. To Jesus, really, and the beauty is um, where the old, where the New Testament takes it is um, uh, that Christ is even able to cleanse the conscience. Mm. So that's what Paul's arguing for. It's like you know you're trying to bring back law and legalism and rules and regulations. Christ is trying to set people free to have a pure conscience, to live out of a pure heart, to simply be pleasing to God Mm. and to reflect his image, and you're trying to now orchestrate it. Now, that's the context that Paul uses really powerful rhetoric and, you know, in, in a sense points out, the shortcomings of mm. trying to be justified by following religious rules. Yeah, but often as Christians, we we tend to interpret that as
0: get rid of <laughs> the law is terrible. The law yeah. is terrible.
1: The law is bad, and oh, that's a Jewish thing or whatever. And it's like, no, no, that's a God thing. Yeah, that's a God thing. And and you know, taking in mind the arc of scripture, it um it is clarified as time goes on, mm. but. Uh, yeah, we can get just. That's just one example of how we can sort of get real, get in, something embedded in our thinking that's not necessarily helpful.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess that's I guess regarding those hard to understand passages or where it seems to be a contradiction, like it does in that
1: it does. That yeah. Scripture doesn't. It, it seems yeah. to just
0: in like what two verses. It's like hang on, said the opposite. It's, yeah, it's, it's just like uh, literally uh, the, contradicted itself. It's like the law is
1: killing me, but it's beautiful it's and great. holy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I guess what we've said, like, I guess a great approach to these kind of scriptures is there must be something more going on. yeah. Right? And maybe that's, I mean, that's what we've got <laughs> yeah. the title for the podcast, Dig oh, a Little Deeper. Dig a Little Deeper. Uh, but there's obviously more stuff going on, and it's always worth having that little bit deep, mm. uh, dig a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, well, look, there's quite a bit of background to the Galatians. I mean, the tribes in Galatia had lobbed in there a few hundred years before the Romans, particularly um, uh, right there, and um, They'd established a stronghold. I guess, in a sense, it was a little bit like they were like early Vikings, like way, way, way before them. And uh, so you're talking. I'm not sure when it was established, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a few hundred years before the time of Christ. So it was fairly new. It was like Corinth and a lot of those other cities. They were really established by the Roman Empire as trade centers, um, or you know, they were embellished. Might be a better way if they they, they were probably established. There. But these guys had sort of rocked in and just owned the place, and they had an incredible reputation as being brutal, as loving a fight. Um, They were fighters, they were brawlers, they were.
0: Yeah. So we're thinking like uh, John Wick, we're thinking uh, (laughs) William Wallace, brave heart on a horse.
1: You shall not take our freedom. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they were. That was it. They were notorious raiders, um, and they were. They were like the Hollywood version but in real life. Yeah, wow. You know. Um, One of the things that history tells us about them is they loved to fight naked, (laughs) which wasn't necessarily a – that wasn't only these guys. But for some reason they actually had a reputation as just being fearsome awesome running into battle <laughs> naked, naked. Yeah, and I
0: uh, mean, all power to them, not, uh, nothing to hold you back <laughs> she, uh,
1: uninhibited and then yeah. uh, of course then rome steamrolls them with paxis or pax romana and um, so the roman peace so they come in and it's like you're bad for trade you're known as raiders mm. people can't travel safely on our roads and and rome did they established roads inland and they just steamrolled these guys and you know, subdued them, yeah. um, but you can never forget their background.
0: So I guess the point is violence is really something that's embedded in their culture.
1: Embedded in their culture, you know, and uh, that was the culture and it is the whole point of this. That's the culture Paul's speaking to and his words reflect it. Mm. Like Paul is speaking to this warlike, again, Much had changed. Much trade had come. They were far more civilised. But we even know in Australia how, you know, the whole Ned Kelly thing is a little bit ingrained. The the Eureka Stockade thing came out during COVID, you know, with anti-government stuff and whatnot. It's Those cultural things stay embedded and Paul goes hard. He treats them like he's speaking to a mob of warriors. He doesn't tell anyone else in any other epistle. Mm. You know, who others would have struggled with this kind of legalism. He doesn't tell anyone else to to cut themselves off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he demonizes observance of the law to warn Galatians it's not necessarily the way to life. Yeah. Um,
0: Jesus and, is the way to life.
1: Yeah, Jesus is the yeah. way to life. The issue being we too often take a thought like that and then we create a mindset, even doctrine, around without really taking in the full scope of the story. It's like, well, Paul is really against the law. And so and I, I don't know, I need I know until probably, you know, the last decade or so, that was me. I saw, you know, not the Jewish people as enemies or but certainly the Jewish law yeah. as irrelevant or discarded or totally fulfilled in Christ, therefore has no bearing on how I should think. Yeah. And um and actually as I've sort of maybe taken on a different viewpoint, um, more scripture has come alive and become more beautiful than it ever was.
0: Mm. Uh, And I guess that would be the average maybe Christian's thoughts when they hear Jewish law mentioned is that maybe, you know, in a a Christian context or in preaching it immediately triggers those thoughts of it's something that's maybe bad at worst or Mm. unhelpful at best Mm. or, you know, that kind of thing. It's like you don't preach the Ten Commandments there's no life in the yeah, Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. suppose it's maybe it's because it's how they've been preached in the past, right? Where it's this is a path to life. Yeah. No, they're not the path to life. Yeah. Jesus is the path to life.
1: Well, I think we're always as as believers, we are always tempted in our reading of scripture and and during our journey. It's it's and this is what Paul was battling. It's like Jesus plus. Right. It's not just come to Jesus. We say it's come to Jesus, but if we're not careful, it's like, well, come to Jesus. When I when I became a Christian, it was come to Jesus, stop listening to rock music, yeah, stop right. smoking, stop drinking, you know. And it was like, well, yeah, some of those things aren't helpful, mm. but, but it's easy to confuse that with identity and with this is what makes so for example you, you sort of in the 80s in circles I was in you, you couldn't be a Christian and smoke it mm-hmm. was like a contradiction yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like no 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 that's just that's just a habit that's not necessarily healthy for you yeah it should have nothing to do with your faith life right. and journey yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we're always tempted to do that but it's funny that when we get those views on say the Lord you mentioned the Ten Commandments, it's funny because there's like this total contradiction going on for Western Christians and that Western, I mean, it's a difficult term now because it's really hard to define. Once mm. upon a time, people knew what you were talking about. But but if I could just go back to that old term, sort of Western democracies, et cetera, Christians would vehemently, and they do, vehemently defend the fact That much of their society, its legal system, the rights of the individual, et cetera, they're all founded on the Ten Commandments. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, we would argue, we don't want to, you know, like some people in Australia, there's a movement, you know, we were a Christian nation once. I'm like, when? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Like, when really Mm. is is any nation a Christian nation? I mean, a a, a nation can be full of Christians, but I'm not sure it can be a Christian nation. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... And, boy, I'm probably burning some bridges there saying that. But, uh, we love hey, you if you think hey, that. Yeah, yeah, we love you. We love <laughs> Write you. to
0: us about it. We <laughs> love
1: <like> you. <laughs> Just love us back. That's all we ask. Write to
0: Chris about it. He'd love to hear it.
1: <laughs> I love that. No, I don't. Anyway, um, debates like that. But, you know, the fact is that's that's really dualistic. Mm. It's like, oh, no, the Jewish law doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily helpful. It doesn't appear uh, Appeal to us, or it's legalistic, it binds you up, blah, blah, blah. But then we're really, really happy to rest on it mm. for our laws and our constitution, etc. And that's really dualistic thinking. Yeah. So, and I think with there's points to note, you know, like again, just thrashing this out. Remember, this is all just the anvil of letting go of a bit of certainty. Because we get certain about things that. You can't always be that certain about yeah, yeah. Um, and i've I've sort of not picked a god topic I've picked more uh, you know a little bit something a bit more external to that, just as the anvil to thresh it out but you know you've got to remember Paul himself in spite of everything he wrote um about being aware that the law was not justification etc working the law. Paul was actually quite happy to either ignore the law, which he did with diet, or to fulfill it on the highest level uh, where he took vows and he, he made Gentiles take vows who were traveling with him and whatnot, mm. um, whether it was a Nazarite vow, whatever it was. And it, for Paul, it was all just part of the mission. It was not unhelpful. As, as a matter of fact, Um, In some ways it could be helpful. It could get you in the door and it didn't bother him to live that way. We've also got to remember that Jesus himself lived as a Jewish rabbi.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
1: even though he didn't get caught up in the ridiculous nitty-gritty stuff that had been foisted on, you know, previous generations, Mm. 612 plus little laws that were added to Moses' law, whatever it is, you know, people have got different calculations of that. But Jesus often clashed on that stuff mm. but you know the the basic basis of the law of Moses you know Jesus was it, quite happy yeah. to live within that
0: mm, yeah so I guess the lesson is obviously let's not be too quick to judge people or the scripture
1: no that's right I mean look the law was a school teacher Paul says in other in other places um and the love of Christ transcends it what Jesus did transcends that school teacher, but the fact is, we're probably all grateful for our school teachers, mm. or at least some of them. You yeah, know yeah. that we <laughs> recognise as adults. <laughs> you know, I probably gave Mister So and So a really hard time, but yeah. when I look back, he was only trying to help me. Yeah, yeah. And and in a sense, Paul Paul reminds us, hey, you. you be grateful of your roots mm. and you learned a lot. You, you actually learned a lot. As a matter of fact, the longer I go in life, the more I've regretted not paying more attention mm. at school. Yeah. So, you know, as you said, the lesson's not to judge too quickly, either people or scripture. Um, and when we look at scripture, I guess there's what I urge is, you know, there's got to be an ability to recognize, not just recognize, but really accept that scripture is nuanced In its applications, in its voices, there's different voices in scripture. um, That there's always a story behind the story.
0: Yeah, that's important.
1: Especially when it's a complicated or a a story that you just don't understand. Mm. When you read something and you go on tilt, and it's like, that's when that's an indicator. Yeah. You know, that, oh, sorry, that's an old term, tilt, isn't it? What's that? Tilt. Tilt. That's from uh, playing uh, pinball machines. Oh, okay. You yeah. know, if you hit them too hard, they'd go tilt and you'd lose your game. Oh. Sorry. So some people saw, <laughs> of, yeah. Fun some, fact
0: of the day. <laughs> sorry.
1: Some people go on tilt when yeah. they read something in scripture. Right. And instead of going on tilt and ignoring it, going around it, or worse, building a doctrine to explain it away, mm. it's actually an invitation to go, I wonder what story is going on.
0: Yeah. And behind
1: we, this story.
0: And we all would have had an experience where you found out the story behind the story yeah, yeah. and it totally changed the perspective of how you saw it. Yeah. But I guess the, the challenge is to remember that's happening in a lot of places. And it is. often where you're confused or what doesn't make sense, it's that invitation to what's actually the story that's going on yeah. behind here. What's and the context? And that's a little bit
1: of what I was hoping to do with the Galatians. Mm. It's like Paul is savage. Paul is brutal. Paul's telling people to cut their genitals off. Yeah. Okay. But then when you realise he was speaking to people who had a background in reputation, notorious bandits yeah, yeah, like the yeah. you know, Vikings of their age, um, you know, running naked into battle, it's like, Oh yeah, that would have got their attention. If Paul had said it any less, yeah. The problem becomes then if we don't think about the story behind the story, we begin to act like Paul with yeah. people who don't have that background. Yeah, yeah which has been done where Christians, you know, get really brutal and savage and wield their scripture, mm. you know, like a like a sword. Um, you know, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, and they take that literally rather than recognizing the word of God as Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so there's got to be this ability to look at the story behind the story. No, that's good. Uh, yeah. The thought that the scripture's... Didn't just drop out of heaven, magically written by God,
0: right? And that's huge. I guess the whole thought around, I guess, inspiration theory—you could call it. Yeah, and it's really important to say theory,
1: yeah, because these are theories, you Mm -hmm. know, um, around what inspiration actually means. Um, Because if you understand this, it helps you to hold truth, maybe with the right weight, or to hold it just tight enough not to let it go, but loose enough to be corrected by it yeah. and not dogmatic. Um, so, you know, we've got different inspiration theories. So from one so end of So the-
0: it's just like this is that Scripture is obviously inspired by God. Yeah, we're But talk- then we need to look at the definition of yeah, what's yeah.
1: actually inspired me. Yeah, before we even get to what scripture saying, it's like mm. what do I believe? What's the framework that I view Scripture through? Yeah, sure. And uh, and often we don't talk about this stuff and, and it's this, you know, I don't want... We- it's probably an episode in itself. But really, Secretary, quickly, take a note. Yeah, of course we've <laughs> touched on it. I mean, you've probably got at one end of the scale uh, dictation theory, which is sort of recognised as error. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of, you know, just That's as a That's God rough,
0: whispering in someone's yeah, ear, rough, writing it down. rough description
1: yeah. is God's whispering in your ear and as he's whispering in your ear, you write every word down that you heard. That's yeah. dictation theory. Recognised error. Um, maybe somewhere in the middle of the scale is probably where we'd sit doctrinally um, around verbal plenary inspiration, mm. which is um, God using, God's inspiring, which actually means to breathe into. So God breathing into people mm. and then them writing out that inspiration, and it comes through their unique character even personality. You can yeah. see Paul's personality all through Scripture. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I mean that's been helpful for us recently reading James where he's also quite a straight oh, shooter. Oh my goodness. And you goodness. can think oh God's really direct yeah. and sharp. But yeah. No James is just that guy who's yeah. he just tells it how it is. Yeah, you know? let's,
1: let's understand there are human filters yeah, on this. Yeah, yeah. And we, we understand it as inspired but we understand again that it's coming through their experience it's coming through even their circumstances that they find themselves in which gives us context and And that's verbal plenary inspiration, which, I mean, for for our background, would say that's what we believe. My problem is this, is the imagination that we have when we think inspiration. Because as much as I I know lots of people who would say if they were pressed on the matter, um, I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. But what their imagination is doing is they see God whispering into into someone's ear. And so it's like I believe that God, you know, filters through or that better still maybe humanity filters through inspired writings.
0: Mm.
1: We go from that but what we really believe is you know literally every word was dictated right and uh, and that causes all kinds of problems because it can't you can't hold the word a little bit loosely you can't hold truth loose enough to allow it to correct you you've got to come to a conclusion mm. you've got to come to certainty yeah you know because god spoke it that word that 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 little conjunction there was yeah. breathed divinely and it's like yeah in the original even pl- verbal plenary would say yes in the original autographs note in point, which we no longer have. Right. And so there are, and I'm not trying to undermine it. I'm absolutely confident we have. Trying to get
0: the correct weight to give it. Yeah, Yeah. it's just
1: like could we just lose a bit of the dogmatic certainty Mm. and allow people to journey, allow the scripture to breathe in and out. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, the scripture's bottom line, they're written by real people in a real world with real struggles and real tensions in their life, just like us, but m- many of those things that they faced and many of the times and seasons they faced, they're quite unique. Mm. They're far removed from the modern world and all of their issues bleed through and yeah. it's up to us in interpretation to imply them in in the today. Um, and the best way we can do that, I think, is to sort of hold – what we consider truth, hold it respectfully, lovingly, but gently. Yeah. You know, lose a certain degree of certainty and say, be willing and humble enough to say I'm on a journey. Yeah. And things that maybe I believed ten years ago, that's changed a bit. God's shown me a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And happy to be on a journey. And I yeah. mean, is that yeah. not just being a disciple? Yeah, God's be- showing <laughs> yeah. me more. If you still believe the exact same things <laughs> in the it. exact same way, you did 10 years ago, maybe it's a sign that you're not actually on yeah. a journey.
1: Yeah, let, let your relationship with God move and breathe and mature rather than be like this static i got to die on this hill this mm. inflexible opinion based on on my own opinion or others opinions or previous interpretations i mean uh, i'm not saying we should sort of remove every foundation i'm just saying let's um let's realize that in our human limitation we're seeing as clearly as we can mm. and tomorrow we might see clearer yeah and we've got to be open to that because in in all honesty i mean if you look at all of church history, Christian doctrine's been morphing and it's been being re-understood and rediscovered at times, revitalised for 2,000 years, and that needs to continue. Yeah, We don't want to stop that conversation. That is the best conversation we could be having and part of what we're trying to have, I guess, through the podcast.
0: Yeah, and I guess what we're doing today, encouraging you, lose your grip on certainty, people. Loosen your grip on certainty, Loosen it. people. Yeah. Loosen. Maybe not lose your grip on certainty. Yeah, no, no. Loosen. 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 Just a little.
1: Yeah. Uh, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be snapped off.
0: Yeah, that's right. Hey, well, it's been so great being with you. Hopefully that's been helpful, encouraging, thought-provoking, inspiring. Other adjectives we could insert here. Hopefully it's been a, a positive adjective for you. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode next week. Hey, everyone, Lily here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. If you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a rating or review. Join us next week as we discuss the creative power of love. In the meantime, you can check out the New Hope podcast for preaching from Chris and Levi, or go and do some push-ups to pass the time. Thanks again. See ya. Nice. I'll be doing 200. You can do 10 if you like. (laughs) (laughs) 10. (laughs) 10. Why don't you just start with 10? Yeah.